Our producer DJ, DJ Shadow, is about to drop the new album on November 15th called Our Pathetic Age. It's an incredible album, which I got to listen to already, and I want to welcome him to the Library of Timonico. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. So I'm going to go back to 1998. I remember being in an HMV in New York City. Uh, my brother Nick, my middle brother, pulled me aside and said, Hey, listen to this. This is why Cool G Rap is the best of the best. This is what he does. He played me a track by DJ Shadow. Why is Poochie rap the best of the best in terms of doing like the quote unquote yeah. mafioso type rap? I mean, I'm just trying to think like um, that first album, Wanted Dead or Alive, like for all of us, you know, for me and my one or two guys where I lived who bought every rap tape, every rap record that came out that we could get our hands on. And mind you, where I lived, that was probably you know, one out of every 100 that came out because we didn't get everything where we lived. But um, most of the major or sub-major releases we got, and by the time Minute Work came on, we were all just like, damn, he is, <laughs> he is, he is flowing. You know what I mean? And that's always been just a cornerstone for us. And, and you know, people like me who I'm a DJ and I always... Um, you know, sort of gravitate more towards the beats and the scratching and that, that side of things. But I have a pure appreciation for rap as well. And if you have a pure appreciation for rap at its core, then I mean, cool G rap, that's, that's it. In uh, in you know what you, you're in the album, I introducing, introducing, introducing. Sorry, yeah. uh, you have one track called "Why Hip Hop Sucks" in '96, mm. and then simply a voice says, uh, "It's the money." Mm -hmm. uh, we fast forward to today. Hip hop is the most popular genre of music out there. So arguably, there's a lot more money involved um, in um, in the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think hip hop or rap has kind of grown away from the money or is it still kind of being i mean but but there there's the rub i mean you said it when you said hip-hop or rap you know what i mean like hip-hop culture as we knew it you know in the era where i grew up you know hearing planet rock for the first time and hearing the message for the first time and hearing all these records now mind you the asterisk being i'm from california so I'm not here to dictate to anybody what the roots of hip-hop are, um, especially if you grew up on the East Coast, in Philly, in New York, in New Jersey. Um, but for me, being an outsider, in some ways I had more reverence, I think, um, for the culture because it wasn't around me. I had to seek it out. Um, so, I mean... The culture as I knew it and as it was with, you know, the elements and all that, I think it's pretty much, you know, it's minted. It's, 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 um, it was a movement in the same way that jazz was a movement in the same way that, you know, certain things happen at certain times and there's a, there's a, there's a golden age and then there's everything that comes after. Well, you know, we're decades into whatever came after. Mm -hmm. And so rap as an art form I can speak on, but to me, it's just totally separate from, from, from hip hop. And, um, you know, rap is big business, of course. And it was always a tongue in cheek, you know, 
title for a song. I just thought it would stir people up. And um, so, and it did, but it, it's funny because most people got it and they got that, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I loved G-Funk and everything that was happening in California at that time. And um, I'm very open-minded when it comes to hip hop, but, but I like the real thing. I don't mm. like watered down stuff. I don't like the pop leaning stuff. Um, but it's funny because the people who sort of took offense to it were super corny, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it, it almost was the exception that proved the rule. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a title that was intended to provoke. I mean, I had a, in 96, I had a weird kind of moment where, uh, especially 98, I was just more about like what hip hop should be about empowerment. And I totally skipped over. Uh, like the big puns of the world and everything like that. And in hindsight, probably wasn't a good idea because if you listen to him now, lyrically, he's incredible. I mean, mm -hmm. his wordplay is incredible. So, um, so I would have told like when I, if 96, when I heard that, I'm like, damn fucking right about the buddy. That's why it sucks and stuff like that. Right. Uh, one thing I appreciate, uh, and a lot of things I appreciate about your work is that, um, you use instruments, you use beats to tell a story, to tell a message. And, uh, a message that I might not get totally, but that's why you're here. And I'm going to ask you about that. Um, we turn to your album, uh, the track Juggernaut. Um, it's an intense track. It's great. You know, it, there's, to me, it's just kind of utter chaos. Uh, it goes, you know, it, it, it then, it, it then perfectly pairs with the next track. I think Firestorm, um, which weirdly, and this is because I have weird way of thinking, kind of reminds me in the beginning of God rest you, uh, your merry gentleman. Interesting. Uh, Maybe not even close, but who knows? Uh, and then, you know, and, and it does a lot to, and it, it does a lot and it works perfectly together. Can you talk about, um, the, the kind of the, the reason to put these two tracks together? I like juxtapositions and I like, um, um, contrast in all art. You know what I mean? Um, I was just talking to somebody earlier today about, that recent Twin Peaks run on Showtime a couple of years back. And I, I never like to ingest things in their, in their moment. I like to give it my own space. So I'm just watching them now. And, and what I appreciated about it or am appreciating about it is that one episode will be almost like entirely just, uh, inconsequential little moments added up. And then the next episode will be really dark and intense. And then the next episode will be packed full of information that's integral to the plot. And then the next episode will be almost all comedic. And you just kind of go, wow, that's, that's an insane sort of, you know, adventure to watch. And I like the same with music. It's fun to, to do those abrupt turns. You know what I mean? When you're putting a, a sequence of music together and a program of music out there into the world and, yeah, so it's cool that you brought it up because Juggernaut is definitely, you know, the sound design showpiece on the record. It's like, you know, heavily kind of um, post-dubstep inspired, if you will. And then um, uh, Firestorm is my first attempt at something orchestral. So I just thought it's cool if, like, you can make it through that, then you're going to arrive here. And I always feel like for my music um, and a lot of the music that and albums that I've appreciated in the past, you kind of have to get through, you have to work through some stuff to arrive at the little rewards mm -hmm. along the way. Um, 
So I like to program my albums that way too. How do you come up with the names uh, for your tracks? Um, you know, like Skyzoo was here, and he talks about how he just writes the list, the track listing prior to actually writing lyrics. Uh, is that the same for you? Does the kind of does the name dictate what instruments or what beats you might look to? I, I use names to help me f uh, identify what I'm trying to express with the music. Um, one of the early tracks that I was making the beat for was Drone Warfare. And it just started sounding so chaotic. I was like, what, what is this energy? I want to harness this. So I wrote Drone Warfare down. And then that really helped me um, determine the outcome of the music I was trying to make. And, and I, I amped up the chaos and like really played around with weird panning and, and all kinds of stuff to make it just seem that much more unsettling. And then that's the... The, the, the kind of theme that I gave Nas and Faramanch was, you know, let's talk about things that you're seeing right now. Um, so titles, some titles are there from the very beginning, the very origin of the track, and others I'm literally struggling as I'm turning in the track listing for the whole album. I'm like, this has been a demo, <laughs> like demo number 10 <laughs> for a year and a half. Like, I'd, I've never come up with a title for it. What am I going to call this? Um so it depends, like, you know, some, some, like I said, some titles have always been there and are kind of ingrained in the, the music and others are more or less inconsequential or they just sound cool to me. The piano, which starts out and continues to the track, uh, We Are Always Alone, kind of informed me that something's going to change in the album. Uh, and of course, something does. The rest of the album, uh, except for the interlude, is... MCs or artists. Um, was this intentional for you? I mean, is that what the kind of the piano for this album represents? That's an interesting question. I mean, I just think that that song, which was the only song that I, I'm trying to think, but I think it's the only song in the album that existed, had a, a, a dual life outside of the record. In other words, that record was recorded for the Roma soundtrack, um, that movie that won best um, foreign language film this past year. Um, so it was inspired by that movie, but I, it was just one of those things where it's like, I don't feel like enough people heard this song. <laughs> so I'm going to, you know, put it back out, but it, it's actually only on the uh, digital version of the album. Oh, okay. And the vinyl version of the album is to me, it's like the sacred list. Um, it's the tracks, the core tracks that were always intended to be on there and in the order that they were intended to be. But I, I do like the idea of that song setting you up for drone warfare and everything that comes after. Speaking of drone warfare, how the hell do you get Nas and Farrah Manch on the same track? I mean, you know, it's like... It's mind, like a dream thing. Yeah, it's a mind-blown type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, well, it was cool because... Um, in both, actually, it was one of the last tracks to finally get finished, if not the last, because Faramanch, we kind of, you know, we were discussing it, and he had some stuff he had to take care of, and then he had some um, kind of emergency things that came up. He turned in his vocals. Nas heard that, was like, okay, let me let me get on this. Nas did hit his thing, and then and then Manch was like, let me hear what Nas did, and then he rewrote <laughs> his stuff. But it wasn't so much a like an ego thing as as much as it was like he was really actually 
serious about wanting to make his vocals work with Nas.、Mm. And、uh, so I appreciated it because not a lot of people would do that, really. I mean, you know what I mean? When they're invited to get on somebody's production, a lot of people just see it as like, okay, it's a cool paycheck, whatever. Right. I don't really care what happens to it, but、um, it's always nice when, when people do take that extra step. I was one of those who made it out the game untouched. Got brothers who never made it out bad luck. Got kids who never seen handcuffs. We got older, their sons got locked up. That's karma. Daughters are popped up, knocked up. I'm sure if you ask Nas and Monch, like, what was the first DJ Shadow track they heard from, they would be more than happy to share. Like, okay, what, what beat did I want to mess with that I wish I could mess with?、Uh, for you, what was that first kind of Farrah Monch lyric or song that you might have heard that's kind of said, all right, I want, this, I want to work with this guy? Yeah. Well, I mean, going way, way back, we were actually label mates.、Um, so, Dave Funkenklein, who used to be an AR man at Def Jam, he you know, worked all the Public Enemies records and stuff when they were coming out.、Um, he also wrote for The Source, and prior to that, he wrote for something called Dance Music Report. And he actually wrote that column with Hank Shockley from The Bomb Squad. Anyway, I used to read those. His columns, and I was like, this guy's funny. He actually disses stuff. If he doesn't like it, he'll like, and nobody else was doing it. I mean, first of all, there was no source back then. We're talking 87,、mm-hmm. 88. There was nobody writing about rap music. And if they were, it was just like, this is slamming. Go buy it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and nobody, there was nobody really with a critical voice. And so he would come along and be like, you know, top villain, this record's booming. This record over here, M4 Sirs, don't buy it. You know what I mean? So, <laughs>、um, anyway, long story short, when he was writing with the source, I sent one of my first demos to Dave Klein. He liked it, offered me work, and he had already just signed Organized Confusion to a label called Hollywood Basic. So, my first stuff came out on Hollywood Basic. And,、um, I remember, you know, seeing people like Rafi, like Money B from Digital Underground, who was also on the label. And I'd be like, hey, you know, we're label mates. And he'd be like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Let me get away from this kid.、Um, and I think I probably approached, you know, Farrah Monch at the same time, like 91, 92. But releasing Hypnotical Gases is the joint on that、mm-hmm. album, that first album. So, I mean,、um, Walk into the Sun. All those first 12 inches, I mean, I was right up on them because he was on the same label.、Uh, during a conversation you had,、uh, you were with、uh, Run the Jewels, you were talking about the track、uh, Nobody Speaks, and you were talking, Nobody Speak, and you were talking about the horns.、Uh, something LP said, he said, Great producers would not only、uh, know how to give you something that you rock on, but also push you to do something.、Um, how much of the discography are you listening to prior to? Of working with an artist. And then what is your thinking going in? Are you thinking, I'm going to try to push this he or she to a different level, or am I going to create something that kind of supports his or her work? Yeah,、um, I mean, my, my, my MO is always the same, which is ideally, whether it's E40 or、um, Q-Tip or whoever it is,、um, I want to create something together that. They would never be able to do on their own, and I would never be able to do on my own. So, in other words, you know, at the end of the run, it, like once all the Q Tips records are made, all his songs are made, 
ideally our song stands unique. Now, it maybe it succeeds, maybe it fails, but the idea being I'd like to do something completely different. I don't want to do a like a classic tribe kind of uh, imitation or like, you know, I want to do something different. And, and I tend to always make different kinds of beats anyway. I have a hard time sticking to any kind of script. So inevitably, the stuff I make with people is going to be different to the stuff they normally do, I feel like. Has there ever been a time where just the artist wasn't like you, you gave into the artist or, uh, yeah. And, or you just, the, the project has never happened because. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I get turned down all the time, but you just never hear about those things because we we don't make it. But I mean, everybody's totally different and sticking with Q-tip for a second. I mean, when you said, has there ever been a moment where you just didn't get your way or however you phrased it? I remember when I was working with, with Q-Tip and um, it was at Chung King, um, which I, I think is closed now, but it was a famous studio in New York. And I mean, he just sort of seemed maybe like, I don't know how he is normally because, you know, we don't hang out all the time, right. but I couldn't tell how really invested he was in, in, in making that track in the moment. And I remember just wanting to make him feel at, at ease and because he, I, I don't know, he seemed maybe like not so at ease. And I remember just, he was like kind of just writing and, and doing his thing to the, to the music. And I remember kind of thinking, I'm a producer. I, I have some say, right? <laughs> so I, I hit the little talk back, you know, button on the mix board. And I was like, you know, that last line, um, why don't you try the cadence like this? And he kind of, he had this crazy expression <laughs> while he was listening to me talking and he just goes, no, I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> all right. So punch up that last part. You like to talk into the engineer again. And I was kind of like, all right, cool. let's roll. <laughs> That's what I meant. You yeah. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes you just got to know when to, to kind of lay back. And, you know, at the end of the session, it was totally chill. He was totally lightened up and everything. But everybody has a different, I mean, that bedside manner is something you you have to learn just from working with people. And I've had literally, you know, cause I was a part of this uncle project in the nineties where it kind of was a precursor to the gorillas where it was like mostly hip hop beats, but it was all these people from, you know, like Tom York from Radiohead and, and people from all over the place. And you mentioned cool G rap and, um, some people are like really intimidated in the studio when they're outside of their comfort zone and trying to figure out the right buttons to push as a producer to make them relax and turn in their best performance. It's, it can be, it can be tricky. Uh, the track, uh, conform, uh, featuring gift the gab, the teeth, the truth speaker and infamous, uh, Taz is, is to me, it's just a beautiful track. Thank you. Uh, the strings, the piano. Um, I have this obsession with strings and hip hop. I just, I love it a lot. Uh, so I'm curious. So, so you like Riz beats? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is, um, why why these kind of musical choices for how did you know that these musical choices would be perfect for these artists um i mean i don't but um i feel like that track in particular it was a favorite of mine as a demo i was like okay i really want to make this track happen and at the time i was kind of in waiting mode for a bunch of different features and none of them had come in yet and i was like you know what i'm I'm getting a little nervous and I'm getting a little tired of waiting. So let me just reach out to literally family in Gab and Latif 
And because um, I, I, I mean, it's been years since I was in the studio with Gab. Um, and even then, the track we did was only released as like a kind of an afterthought B-side. It wasn't on the album. So I really wanted Gab on the record. He's, you know, been going through some health stuff and, and really wanted him on it. And Latif, he's always been great. And I asked Latif to get, I was like, who should we, uh, let's get somebody new. So it doesn't feel like a bunch of older guys, right. you know what I mean? Like in their rocking chairs. Um, and I'm including myself in that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, got Taz, super, super, super talented, smart kid. From uh, Pittsburgh, California, I believe. Maybe Antioch. I can't remember. Taz, don't 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 blow me up if I get it wrong. But <laughs> um, anyway, um, so I just wanted to get a track with vocals done, and that's why I reached out to them. And it was like that classic sense of where we all commuted to the studio, we all sat down, we talked about what you know we wanted to do over the music, and. You know, I was working with people that were comfortable with me. I was comfortable with them. So I was kind of adamant about what did I, what I wanted to address on the record. Um, and it was no problem. And, and then we went back in, recorded. Like, we, we did it in the, the classic sense. JoJo's words. Uh, featuring Stro, uh, it's, it's could be one of my favorites on the album. Uh, I think I, I think Stro does a kind of incredible job yeah. telling the story of uh, of suicide. Uh, why why in, in context of the album? Why a track about suicide? I mean, well, the 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 story behind this track is this was a demo I really believed in, you know, musically. I knew it was unusual, and I would approach every artist saying check out this beat i have a really cool concept it's like did you ever read choose your own adventure books like where it sort of starts off and then you can decide which way it goes but then you bring it back it's like i want to do that lyrically and 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 literally the first seven people i approached either were like i'm not sure it's right for me i'm not sure i get it i'm not sure i'm feeling it i'm not sure if i have time to do it my throat hurts. I can't do it right now. I mean, literally everything you can think of, I got back. And I was like, man, I don't think this track's going to make it. And, and I hate when that happens. But it actually usually happens on every album. Mm. Um, and so I just kind of was like, man, you know, I need this song to be able to have a double album. And I really wanted to meet that that goal I had. And... So I basically hit up Mass Appeal and I was like, okay, listen, I'm, I'm stumped. I'm like out of ideas. Um, do you, is there anybody you want to just shoot this track to? And, uh, Peter who runs Mass Appeal was like, yeah, Nas and I believe in this guy Stro. Um, let's, let's see if he's feeling it. Let's, let's get it to him. Let's, you know, maybe we'll get lucky. And he hit me up and he was like, I got the beat. Tell me about your concept. And we talked about it. And, you know, he, he was, he was like warm, but I didn't really get a sense of whether it was going to happen or not. And then about two days later, he texted me. He's like, you're going to fuck with this. <laughs> you're going to fuck with this, this, what I wrote. And I was like, okay, cool. And he sent it. And I was like, 
it was just one of those great feelings because it went from being like no hope to being one of my favorites on the record. Mm. And he didn't tell me what he was going to write about, but I was a thousand percent into what he wrote. It was just, but then just a caveat to that or a, you know, an addendum to that. Uh, this, the guy who did the saxophone that constitutes the sample and most of the background music, I had been in touch with him through a friend and I suddenly became really concerned that maybe he wouldn't rock with this concept. Um, because there's nothing about it to me that is in any way like offensive or like, Oh, do we, do we want to put this energy out there? I mean, to me, it's just hundred percent real. But sometimes other people don't feel that way. And, you know, maybe they don't want to associate with this. But I was really happy. So, like, I got the, the vocal performance. I was like, man, incredible. Wrapped the music around it, finished the music, finished all the programming and everything, all the sound design. And then I sent it to Norman, the sax player, and just was crossing my fingers. And, and he came back. He's like, I think it's beautiful. Oh, wow. That's yeah. nice. He's like, I'm so proud to be associated with this. So that was just one of those, like, I'm good. Like, thank you. No, it's a, it's a, it's an incredible, incredible track just to listen to. And not, it's not sad in a way. It just kind of like tells a story of what it's just real. Like, yeah. It's just a thousand percent real. Like there's nothing about it that's fronting or like flexing. It's just, it's just real. I still haven't even had a chance to meet Stro face to face to no. tell him like what, you know, how, like what this track means to me. One of many children raised by the system. Pops was a victim. Didn't want to sell, but they was about to evict them. And this whole family, mama got trauma from drama. It's insanity. Recently, she been strung out. Caught her where the drug dealers hung out. She seen me and ran like shots rung out. Just a matter of time before the was that the first did, when they told you about show? Did you say, okay, then send me his music so I can just get a feel of what it's about? Nope. Or did it just come at out? that point? I was like, okay, cool, maybe you know, because sometimes you do get lucky, and um, you know, that that was a question you asked earlier, like how much of people's catalogs do I explore and stuff? It's a case by case basis. I mean. Uh, Urgent Important Please Read is another kind of interesting example where I was kind of at a loss, sent it to some people. I was like, I know people aren't going to think this beat is very, you know, of the moment. It doesn't sound like everything that's on, you know, Rap Caviar's playlist right now. It's different. I get it. And sometimes it can be exhausting because it's like, yeah, I know it's different, but guess what? That's why it's going to be cool. Right. You know what I mean? But a lot of people just won't sort of... Like, why should anybody take my word for it? You know what I mean? So, um, in that example, like, I, I checked out some of Rockwell stuff. Like, I checked everybody out and was like, okay, cool, I could hear their voice on this. But I didn't, like, listen to every single project. Mm. Uh, the next track after JoJo's Words is uh, King Kings and Queens, uh, featuring Run the Jewels. Uh, another great track, but it's a very joyful. It's a celebratory track. So you go from a track about suicide to this exactly uh, well it's like heaven yeah like you gotta get it's like you know that 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 you're in that limbo like you've left earth and you're not to heaven yet and then to me the gospely kind of chorus um that was an intentional move like i felt like what l was talking about was so personal and so intense that i wanted something to kind of lift during the hook but yeah to your point i mean the sequencing 
was intentional. You talked about being, like, you know, being like seven artists in and not having someone to fit a track, right? Uh, when, when, when is it? When is it for you to time to call it quits with a track? Like, when do you know, like, all right, I want this for the album, but. It's just not going to, or is there something where I want this, I want an artist on this album, but it's not going to happen. So can I flip it to just be an instrumental uh, for the album? Mm, on the latter point, that would never happen. And the reason is that I know in the first eight hours of working on a beat, whether it's going to be one or the other, um, it just will sp speak to me and give me a different, put me in a certain headspace and some music I'm not willing to compromise on. And then others, and, and those become instrumentals. And then others, I'm kind of like, this naturally feels like I could hear somebody over this. So I would never, and, and actually, like, that's always been one of those things I, I, I feel like I wish people would um, sort of pick up on more with my stuff is my instrumental stuff is not just verse, hook, verse, hook outro but there's no vocalist on it like my instrumental stuff is intentionally progressive and and you know i do stuff with the instrumental music that i could never do on a vocal mm. on a vocal track and vice versa but um what was the what was the first part of your question i forgot uh when do you just oh when do i call, it quits? call it quits um i came close a few times like i mentioned like on um jojo's words and Urgent, important, please read. Those were the two final tracks. Um, but on this album, I was able to see it through, but that's one of the reasons why this album took longer. I mean, it is a double album in the classic sense of it being, you know, basically over 90 minutes and um, 24, 26 tracks, if you include the bonus tracks. So, um, you know, it took longer. But like on the last album, The Mountain Will Fall, there were two tracks, three borderline, but two for sure that I was in love with. And one was actually my favorite demo of the whole album. And I have a really hard time getting, um, I, it, it just seems like I wanted a female voice on that record. And I seem to have a really hard time getting female vocalists to, to mess with my beats, mess with my stuff. It's, it's, it's like a continual, seems like a continuous theme because I really wanted a female voice on this record as well and um, reached out to so many and got so many different reasons back why they couldn't do it. I realize I might be asking a question about a bonus track, but I'm going to ask you about uh, the last track, Our, Our, Our Pathetic Age, uh, which features uh, uh, Sam Harris. No, it's not a bonus track. It's not a bonus track. That's the final I've asked people about track. final tracks. Like, it's a bonus track. I'm like, yeah, fuck. No, uh, no. <laughs> Uh, it's not a rap track, obviously. Right. Um, why, why leave us with this kind of non-rap track, a rock yeah. track? Uh, yeah. why, why, why is that? Because it's different and because um, just purely from a kind of DJ programming perspective, I wouldn't want to put it in the middle. It'd be kind of weird to me. I w really wouldn't want to start off the album with it. So it just seemed to fit. And also... From the beginning, that was a really important song for me on the record. It was, you know, I wrote the music. Um, some tracks are built around samples. This one was not. Um, and I had a really specific idea of what I wanted out of the vocalist. And it was one of those things where 
fortunately, he was willing to put in the time and the effort to, you know, for us to have round one, round two, round three, round four of like, you know, I'm like, I still think, you know, let's change the wording here. I still feel like I could use a lift here. And it's just a song I'm really proud of. And it's a song that I think um, is the light at the end of the tunnel in a way. Uh, because, you know, the album title, I get asked about it all the time. It's it's, an, it's almost like a gut punch, the mm -hmm. title. And it, it, it's like, it's a it's real. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's a very direct title. But I didn't want the whole album. If, you know, now that you've heard the record, I think you can also say it's not really a political record no. it's more of a humanistic record and to me there's a big difference and i wanted to i wanted the end song or the end theme to kind of reflect the heart at the at the core of the record uh new album out pathetic age uh dj shadow it's been great thank you so much for being on right, thank you Monica. thank you appreciate it i've been blind come to life come to life, come to life.